0: The only reason we have to meet, the only reason we have to get up in the morning, uh, sing praise to him and do his work, and we're privileged to do it. I love the line from the, the second song, your goodness is running after me. We talked about in, in uh, our life group this morning, how uh, oh, God is not just king. I, I understand God is king because I understand rank structure, I understand uh, military type of following orders and doing what you're supposed to do, but he doesn't just want to be king, he wants to be Father. As any good father knows that they want to, they want to heap on their children blessings and, and and good things they only want good things for their kids. How much more you guys got me started early today. pause as I collect my thoughts. I'm thankful. I'm just thankful. For what God is doing, for what he has done, what he continues to do, what he will do. I'm thankful for all of it. Um, I'm also thankful for all of you. Um, you've been involved financially, many of you physically. A lot of men were out there in that parking lot making it look like what you see right now. And, uh, and soon, the whole parking lot would look like that. And I'm, uh, I'm so thankful for that, that, that God's not just doing things, he's doing things through people. His agents of mercy, his agents of grace on this earth, his hands and his feet. And uh, if we could take a moment, I don't do this a lot, but if we could take a moment, not to, I want to thank the guys, but I want to I wanna clap for God. Because God's goodness is running after us in this building. And I feel that with every, every bit of me. And I hope that you do too. I pray that you do too. Um, now to bring it down a little bit. As Roe mentioned, we are actually meeting again after. If anybody is available, we understand short notice and probably a lot of you will not be able to. But um, I, was, I was prepared to say just men, but actually Terry came out uh, yesterday. Terry Post came out yesterday and uh, she showed us all how to, how to spread seal coat. Um, so it was, it was good to have her out too. But we are meeting again, 1 o'clock, we're, we're shooting a start. We're actually going to bring out some grills, some meat, some grass, some plant-based stuff. Uh, if you're available to stay, uh, we'd love to have you stay, eat with us, and, and push some more seal coat around with us. But uh, um, if you're not, no, no worries there. Um, Last week, last couple weeks, we kind of been on evangelism uh, kick. This whole letter of Galatians is really all about the gospel, the gospel unfettered, the gospel unchanged, the gospel unedited. And we have a responsibility as agents of that gospel, as communicators of that gospel, not to edit, not to change, not to add to, not to take from uh, any of it ourselves. And and with that, we have a lot of good news to share. I I actually, it shocks me that people are hesitant to share the good news of Jesus with other people. I feel like I've said this verse every week the last several weeks, but Acts 4.20, how can we but speak of the things that we've seen and heard? For me, it's just a, It's not a matter I take credit because I, oh, I, felt, I felt brave that day and I went out and talked to somebody. He's like, man, I got something exciting to say. How do you not say that? I found the fountain of youth. I found eternal life. I found Jesus, my Savior. And we've been challenging you. We brought in a... a a speaker last week to talk about evangelism, personal evangelism. How, how can you go about doing that? I hope, I've been hearing reports of people being more vocal about their faith at work, at school, different, different places where life uh, puts us. And I'm thankful for that. I actually had a visitor last week and anticipate many more to come. Keep doing that. It's not about packing this building for the sake of packing this building. Again, if God's not in it, I want nothing to do with it. But when God does something, people can't help but congregate just to take it all in. And he's doing something here. You should be telling your friends. You should be telling people that you love, that you care about. Hey, come be loved here. That preacher might not be very good, but man, those people love each other. I was told not to be so self-denigrating, but when you know who you are, apart from Jesus, you can't kind of help but not take yourself that seriously. Um, and so I, I love what God is doing here. I hope that you'll keep sharing that message with people outside of here to bring them inside of here so we can love on them. And then turn, turn them around to go get more. When you share, it's an interesting kind of dynamic. Uh, we had a great discussion last week. Uh, our two Ricks uh, were talking about the different aspects of the urgency on one hand where you, you have to speak and speak clearly. Uh, We have this one life, this one shot, this one chance to get it right. And then we have one judgment coming. And so we don't want to mince words with people. But the truth is that we can't always be beating people over the head with it either. And so we have to come in grace and we have to come in mercy. We have to come into understanding where we were. Let's not forget where we came from. Where Jesus found us in a crumpled heap on the ground. Incapable of doing anything for ourselves. And he said, hey, you don't have to be good enough. I'm good enough for the both of us. And you balance the urgency of the message with just the grace and love that we feel through that good news and trust the Holy Spirit to tell you when it's A and when it's B. And so I appreciate that discussion that happened last week. Uh, we're going to be back in Galatians today. The theme is kind of purpose of the law part two. And you may remember part one, we, we said uh, in Galatians chapter 3 earlier on, it said uh, the purpose of the law and, and, and the reason the law came was, and then Paul says transgression. It's like, well, that's not helpful, Paul. The, the reason the law came is because of sin. Well, how does that even answer the question? And so we offered four different ways. It wasn't an exhaustive list, but a, uh, I hope a helpful list of things that the law does for us and the reasons for which it came. The first thing is it defines sin it helped us to know when we were sinning. When you're driving along a country road and you assume the the speed limit to be 55 miles an hour, you are not breaking any laws that you're aware of until you see a speed limit sign that says 25. And now all of a sudden you realize the disparity between what you're doing and what the law expects of you. And and so the law came to define sin to make it so we knew what we were doing. We knew when we were in, uh, in error. Secondly, it mitigated sin. So for those that wanted to obey the law, it helped them to know how to do that and how not to transgress the law. And so it helped to keep, keep sin at bay. But unfortunately, it also revealed sin. It kind of was like a mirror. It showed us who we really were. When I saw that sign that said, do not trespass, what did I want to do? I see a sign at work that says, don't Touch. <laughs> touch. Uh, the, the red phone somebody mentioned the red phone hey, don't, don't, don't pick up the red phone like, there's one actually in the control room at work there's a red phone man I don't really want to pick it up <laughs> but, but, but the law has a way of revealing to us that that is what is inside of us that's the kind of moral decay that is in us that we say it in a joking sense but how, how about this one men don't lust after that woman Oh, now I'm getting serious. <laughs> now I'm getting kind of preachy. But we understand that we, 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 we're playing around a little bit, but it has some serious implications. The law shows us those things about ourselves. And this one was the hardest for me to, to wrap my head around. Is that the law increases sin. You see, where there's no law written, there isn't any sin. If there's no speed limit, I can go as fast as I want it's not a sin because there's not a law that says I can't. But the more laws that you have, we know the, the ten big ones, right? The ten. That's, that's only five, right? The, I was thinking about my other hand, but it was just... So the ten big ones, and then they had like 613 other laws. In The Jewish law. And so with that many laws comes great increase in sin. And left and right, you just realize that I cannot follow this thing. And that points to the ultimate purpose is to show us that. To show us our inability apart from Christ to recognize that and to fix ourselves. And so in enter stage left, the Messiah. So you didn't have to. And so Paul offers part two, purpose of the law. And it's a new analogy, and I kinda like this. So again, it's a confusing who who gets confused by Paul? A show of hands, who it, it, it should be more hands up, but uh, paul 's a confusing guy he 's a smart guy right and but but the way he writes sometimes it 's rhetorical sometimes it 's just uh, he 's speaking in a way that you, you 're having a hard time tracking what he 's saying when he comes up with this new analogy, this law as babysitter, this law as guardian, this law as tutor, and so on uh, this uh, message i I think is going to be heavy on teaching um, and hopefully not too light on on bringing out the themes of the passage. I don't want to uh, teach to the, to the um, neglect of those weightier matters, but uh, there's quite a bit to unpack here. By way of illustration, the law is babysitter. Um, we went away for a number of weeks. I for seven weeks and my wife for four months uh, to Kampala, Uganda, uh, in pursuit of our adoption of our son, Daniel. Daniel. Uh, and while we were away, we needed a series of many. A cadre of people came to support us because we needed we needed a team of people to to watch our children for us. Uh, and and uh, at at base, what we hoped to get from everybody that watched our kids was keep them alive, protect them, keep them keep them doing well. Um, and that ran the gamut from those that just just watch them, make sure that they don't get in trouble, keep them kind of fenced in, to those that would. Uh, take their homework out and help them with homework or do other things and take it to the next level. But uh, at base, we just hope for them to be protected, to co- be corralled, protected perhaps against themselves. The idea being that this, this babysitting would be temporary in nature. I want to suggest to you, though, that uh, at no time uh, do we plan to go to Uganda not to return to our children. And so for the, temp, the, the babysitting period of time was temporary, uh, as was the law as babysitter, as guardian uh, in the life of the Jew, was temporary. And so the title of t- today's message is, Don't Settle for the Sitter. Don't Settle for the Sitter. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 29 is our text. Galatians 3, 23 through 29, if you want to turn there. I will have the, the words on the, on the screen. We're going to read through first, then I'll offer some insight in the text after the fact. Verse 23, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And let's, uh, Before we start picking that uh, apart, let's, uh, let's go in a word of prayer. Lord, we need you here uh, to do the things, Lord, that uh, no man's message can do. Father, attach the words that I have prepared, Lord, and um, your power. Keep me from saying the ones that are not yours, and Lord, prompt me to say the ones that you'd have me to say that aren't in my notes. Lord, might the sum total of what we do here today be honoring and be glorifying to you and more than anything, Lord, might it, uh, might these words find lodging in somebody's heart. Lord, somebody that needs to hear your word today. We, don't, we believe that your word does not return void, and we're asking you to make good on that today. For every single person that walked in here today, Lord, we don't want to waste their time. Lord, we ask your spirit to be stirring among us. We ask your spirit to be powerful among us. We ask your spirit, Lord, to be driving home these truths. That lives would be changed. Habits and addictions broken. Strongholds of the the enemy, Lord, destroyed. We pray this in the name that is above every name in the name of Jesus amen all right so it's back in verse 23 now before faith came we were held captive under the law imprisoned or held in check fenced in if you will until the coming faith would be revealed when I first read that this week let's be honest we miss some of the key elements we just kind of do our daily reading we just kind of we miss some stuff and then, and then I got a sudden I got to read it to study it, to be able to teach it, now I start seeing some stuff that i got to explain. Or i got to explain. So I'm going to try to explain this to you. all right? Now Paul, if, you're, if you remember anything at all, but we've been covering ad nauseum, is that Paul is saying, look, actually the system of faith came before the law. So it's not a matter of just theologically being inferior, but also chronologically. He, keeps, he goes to pains to say, look, uh, faith came before law. Abraham was uh, believed and it was credited unto him as righteousness. And then Paul goes through the whole argument just explaining how that's the case. But now he says before faith came, we were held captive under the law. So what does he mean by that? Is that a contradiction? Well, if you continue to read, you see that faith is actually a euphemism for Christ's coming. Look at verse 24. Until Christ came. So faith is a euphemism for Christ coming. The faith as a system predates the law, but the object of the faith had not yet come. And so once Jesus came, that's, they were held under uh, captivity of the law until the Messiah came. And during that waiting period, it says we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Until, that's funny, it's always meant to be, it was always meant to be temporary. The law was never meant to be permanent. And he explains that here. Until faith came. Until the coming faith would be revealed. You see, the the Jews did not see the whole picture. And these Gentile believers in Galatia did not see the whole picture. And how often do we not see the whole picture? Isn't that a dangerous thing? We see just glimpses and we think we know some stuff. We get ourselves in trouble doing that. We don't really see the whole picture. Don't be deceived by the portion that you do see. Knowing that we don't always see the picture, don't be deceived by the portion that you do see, by the part of the picture currently revealed to you. See, we know when we, when we recognize ourselves as blind. We enter into a new situation, a new place of employment, a place where we feel fearful and unsure of ourselves. We know at that time to trust in God because we don't have our feet underneath us. We don't, it's a desperation move. We, we know we don't have any other option. We trust God. Because we don't see the picture at all. got a, a, diff, a difficulty, a struggle, a, a trial that you're going through. And it's easy to trust God when you're blind because you know you have to. Then you start peeling your eyes open. And you start taking it in. You say, okay, i got to lay the land now. I understand what's going on. And you start getting cocky about what you think you see, what you think you know. We become dangerously independent when we think we can see what's going on. And so if you're in a season of life where you're seeing uh, any portion of that picture at all, trust God for the whole picture. Trust that, Him that there is a whole picture. That that trial, that difficulty you're going through is not just uh, a, an arbitrary thing that He just threw at you like Zeus, throws lightning bolts. That, that it's a part of the grander scheme of what He's doing. And that He might actually have a plan for that difficulty in your life. He's not just dangling you in front of it. And one day you're going to back up far enough to see the whole thing. and You're going to say, wow, God is amazing. He brought me through all of this. If only I had seen it then. Why is it that we say that we walk by faith, not by sight? Because our sight is deceiving. Our sight is partial. And you add a little bit of sight to a whole lot of pride, you get real sideways real fast. Like a child who thinks themselves independent. Any parents in here who ever had, had their child say they're going to run away or they're going to they're go move out on their own? Okay. Okay. Do you need me to pack anything up? Uh, you'll probably want a sandwich or two. Um, but, but children who think themselves independent because they can walk upright, they can do some things for themselves, they think they're independent until they, they find out what, what bills cost, what bills even are. Like, well, I guess I can't do that. I guess that's not an option to me. I guess these people, they want some money in exchange for those lights being on. You know? And and that's kind of how we are. How we were. The parent knows the child needs a guardian, needs protection. And the law was that for the Jewish people. Verse 24. So then the law was our guardian until, again, Christ came. Some translations have guardian, some tutor. Some babysitter, I like that one. Nanny, disciplinarian. So you see the, the wide range that the, that the word might have. It comes from the Greek word paedagogos. And the paedagogos was a, uh, a servant in ancient, uh, uh, ancient Israel. There was this uh, a servant very close to the family, very trusted um, had a lot of responsibilities, but one of the responsibilities was, uh, was the maturation and the development of the moral compass of the child of the household, or the children of the household. So very important task they had. Their primary task was to make sure that they got to and from school. And, and so hugely important was this uh, uh, pedagogos, they had a great amount of responsibility for the development of that child into mature adulthood. Influence over their moral welfare and quality is essential to growing up. But again, their primary duty, take children to and from school, make sure they got where they were supposed to go intended by their parents. So the law was our guardian. The law provided that for us. In order that we might be justified by faith. So here's Paul banging that drum again. Justification by grace alone through faith alone. And just, just when we think we, we've got it, he says it again. Justification by grace alone, through faith alone. So Paul brings it back to his constant refrain, justification by faith. This was a motivation of the letter, how it was that justification was secured in the first place. But now that faith, now that Jesus, now that Messiah has come, we are no longer under a guardian. In, uh, in Uganda, where we spent, again, seven weeks for myself and, and four months for my, my wife, The first order of business when we got to Uganda was to seek guardianship of Daniel. And it was, at the time, it was all that mattered to us. And we got scammed left and right. We got in a vehicle. They drove us to some back alley in some remote village in Uganda. We didn't know where we were. We weren't sure what was going on. Some lady hops in, tells us, I got this sheet of paper, but it's going to cost you 150 U.S. dollars. I gave her $200 bills. She didn't give me change, and she left. But I had my guardianship letter. And we held on to that like nothing else could surpass that because we were now the closest thing to family that that little boy had. All that mattered to us was guardianship of Daniel. And when all we had was guardianship, it was everything, but only because it pointed towards something better, something more permanent. You see, parenthood supersedes guardianship. And the one makes the other unnecessary or obsolete. I want to make sure that I, I don't give the wrong impression. The, the law was not bad. I know mean, we have some negatively charged words for the law, as Paul explains it, but the law was good. The law kept us in check. The law corralled us. The law kept us fenced in. The law kept us pointed in the direction, knowing that we would need a Savior, we need something outside of ourselves because the law wasn't enough. And so the law was a good thing. It's not a matter of good versus bad. It's a matter of good versus better. It's a matter of good versus best. It's a matter of temporary versus permanent. And God didn't want to just be our guardian. He wanted to be our father. Verse 26 says it plainly enough. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons, all daughters, all children of God through faith. And who here do I have to convince that sonship or daughtership, being a child of God is better than just being having a guardian. We're not just spiritual descendants of Abraham through faith, but now sons and daughters of God himself. And thus, as the text will go on to say, heirs according to the promise. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. A Jewish baptism was the way in which the mode through which a man became a Jew, according to the religion. The man would cut his fingernails, his toenails, his hair. He would undress completely, get into a bath, had to be submerged fully. And as he was submerged, they would they would they would read Old Testament passages. They would read encouraging sayings. They would uh, they would uh, issue blessings for this person. Uh, he would he would uh, he would then make his confession of faith to two or three fathers of baptism, as they were called. And through that baptism ritual, he entered into the faith. And so what Paul is doing is he's taking the background of that kind of baptism and saying, but now you have to be baptized into Jesus. Because just as you went into the Jewish faith through the mode of baptism, symbolically you're doing the same thing as you're baptized into Christ. As Christians we understand baptism to be a public profession or a display of our inward faith that we already have we're, we're telling the world look uh, I belong to Jesus you might not have known that about me I got saved many years ago but maybe you didn't know and so I want to stand up here and I want to get I want to get submerged in water so that I can I can take part in the death burial and resurrection of Christ himself and be identified it's like putting a new suit on how many people will find their identity in the clothes that they wear probably more of us than we should admit because what you're, what you're wearing says something about who you are. It says something about what you, what you want to communicate to people. If people dress real, uh, with a slobby appearance, it communicates maybe you don't care. You, you find the big baggy pants down around the ankles, you say that's probably, a, probably some sort of gangbanger thug. Uh, what we wear and how we wear it says a lot about who we are and what we intend to do. We put on Christ, we've taken on his identity. Old man has died. Our new identity is in Christ. We've made an outward profession that that's now all that matters. Verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This can't be probably said well enough. Or thoroughly enough. That there are no distinctions in Jesus. All distinctions that you thought mattered. Crumble in front of the king. Shattered in front of the king. Melt away in front of the king. Status. Wealth. Possessions. Notoriety. Fame. Celebrity status. whatever, Whatever you might bring forth. All of that shatters at the foot of the cross. Because none of it matters. In Christ, all those distinctions are obliterated. And you have to understand, in order to get there, you have to understand the weight of what he's saying. Distinctions were all that mattered to the Jew. Is that meal kosher? Or is it clean? Is it unclean? Is he circumcised or uncircumcised? Is he following the rituals or not following the rituals? Those distinctions were all that mattered. In fact, you probably don't know this. Um, I didn't until I studied this passage. There's a uh, a synagogue prayer that goes a little something like this. Lord, thank you that I'm not a Gentile. Lord, thank you that I'm not a slave. And Lord, thank you that I'm not a woman. And now you're all offended. (laughs) And so what Paul is doing is he takes all those distinctions, all those arrogance, uh, all the arrogance of that prayer, and he turns it on his head. It says, all the things that you measure up, you stack up and say, this is why I'm important. I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a slave, and I'm not a woman. So in a patriarchal society, that's all that mattered. Women were property. Slaves, did, slaves were property. And, and Paul turns that on his head and goes directly at that prayer and says, actually, you thinks it's a mistake he, he named all three? He said there's no male, female, there's no... Jew, Greek, there's no slave or free. All are one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, verse 29, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. If you are Christ. Again, I I speak very, I hope clearly, uh, very directly to this idea that there are two groups of people. In the world. Those redeemed and those not. Those who Jesus, the ultimate judge, will say are sheep and those that he will call goats. And the distinction is this. Those who have placed their trust, their faith in Jesus. Because they look at the law, they look at all the rules, and they say, I just can't keep up. How many are there this morning? I just can't keep up. I can't. And so at the end of me, I realize there's a great chasm between where I am and where I should be. And nobody in this room should feel any different. There's a great gap between what we are and what we should be. And laying across that gap is the cross, covering all of it. And so let me not mince words when I say that there are two groups of people, those who have been redeemed by that cross, by the finished work on that cross, and those that are not. God forbid that I have an opportunity to say something true to somebody as important as that. And I mince words because I'm afraid of what somebody might think. And so if you are Christ and you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise, it demands of me that I pose a challenge. Are you Christ? Do you belong to Christ? Are you in Christ? Have you put on Christ? Is that your identity this morning? And for many of you, most of you, I think, thankfully, it is yes and amen. But I want to talk to those that, that haven't made that profession of faith, haven't put their trust in Jesus. Because the day is coming. We have this one life to live, this one opportunity to get it right. And after that comes Judgment. And at the end of this life, we are all going to give an account for all that we have said and done. Every idle word is going to be laid bare. And I'm scared to death, even though I'm, I'm saved, I'm born again. I, I don't have to worry where my eternal destiny is. But man, do I not want to give an account for every idle word I've spoken. You see, yeah, there's been a lot of them, Jeff. It's Pastor Jeff to you, but <laughs> I'm just kidding you. That wasn't in my notes, but God will deal with me for it. But I want to talk to the person who hasn't made that decision. I want to ask you why not? Why haven't you? Why, why are you content to be babysat by a bunch of rules? Why are you content with, with the guardianship when, when when the Father is saying, I want to adopt you? I don't want you to just have the protection of guardianship. I want you to have the promise of the heirship of somebody who's my child. I want you in that circle. And so if you haven't made that decision yet, why not? For some, maybe you have just enough religion to feel fulfilled. Just enough law in your life to feel legitimized. Because you're trying, you're, you're doing your best, and you come in here, you know the ropes, you know the Christian needs, you know, the you know those, all the statements to make. God doesn't just want to get you to school. He said that the time of the potty gogos is gone, is over. I'm not looking to get you just through first through twelfth grade. Some of you are looking to go to thirteenth grade. There is no such thing. The law has run its course. It's presented to us what we needed to see. It need to point to it, point us towards Jesus. He's saying now I want you to be my child. He doesn't just want you to go to school. He wants you to graduate. He doesn't want you kept in check by a babysitter. He wants you nurtured and loved by a parent. I confess to you that I get the kingship. I get get the sovereignty of God. Those things make sense to me. What in my pride I have to come to terms with is that he wants me as a child of his. And the law stops short of all those ideals. It looks for just justice. It looks for, it looks for mere compliance. It looks for you to just go along with the program. Uh, many of us are privy, probably most in this room are privy to, and we're inspired by uh, a story this week of incredible forgiveness. A guy by the name of Brant Jean looked across the courtroom at his brother's murderer she did so not intending to but here is his brother's dead and uh, in a scene like that you can imagine a lot of people heaping a lot of insults and, 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 and threats and, and I hate you's and, and, uh, and go to hell's and that, that sort of thing and instead this man said my brother would want me to forgive you and so do I he showed incredible grace and dignity forgiving his brother's murderer the law alone would have sought justice and left it at that She's done something wrong, she needs to pay for it. But Grace looked her in the eye and said, I want to give you a hug. And then walked across that courtroom and did just that. And then the judge, if you read the follow-up story, the judge then took a Bible from her her desk, opened it to John 3.16, and shared that verse with that woman. The law alone seeks justice, seeks penalty, seeks their pound of flesh. Christ in you would have, would have us extend forgiveness, seek her best interest. Would allow mercy to triumph over judgment. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. If you recognize the disparity between the two worlds, one in which you just want mere compliance, you want, to, you want to be merely compliant with what you think you're supposed to do. You haven't yet met Jesus You haven't yet decided that that his program is better than yours because you can't follow all those rules. You can't do it. And he's never asked you to do it. He, he He brought the law in to be your guardian, to fence you in, to show you that you needed something better than that, something outside that. And then in all of our failings, in all of our misery, in all of our brokenness, he comes along and says, I'll take you anyway. I want you anyway. And not just... To take care of. I want you as a son. I want you as a daughter. I would ask you if you haven't made that decision this morning, don't leave here without at least talking to me more about it, explaining it more fully. If I haven't been clear here, and I pray that I have, trust in the Holy Spirit to do a whole lot of work here on my behalf. But if you haven't made that decision, Please don't leave this building without talking to me about what it is we're so fired up about. Because the law sought to crush us, to destroy us. And Jesus sought to put us back together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time here this morning, Lord. We ask that you Lord just do what you're doing and and, uh, not allow your word to return void Lord that uh, where I was insufficient Lord that you would be more than sufficient where my words were limited your ability to communicate those words is unlimited and we just pray Lord that uh, those in this room that don't know you as their Lord and Savior as their King but maybe more importantly as their Father would not leave here today without correcting that. Lord, we thank you in advance. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.